Before we get into today's show, I just wanted to let you know about our new podcast that I'm so excited about called Mindbenders. It's a podcast about stories of synchronicity that can bend minds. You can find Mindbenders podcast at Spotify, Apple podcast, and mindbenderspodcast.com. Submit your mind-bending story today by emailing us at mindbenders at path11productions.com or by calling us. Leave your story on our voicemail. It's okay if it's a long one. We'll call you back. 1-323-713-1113. Again, that's 1-323-713-1113. Also, the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Awareness Conference has ended, but the replays are still available at path11productions.com slash ac2020. For $129, you can watch just over 17 hours of streamed videos from professionals including Robert Moss, Austin Wells, Edie Nathan, Brian Smith, and Daniel 4 PhD, just to name a few of the presenters. Visit path11productions.com slash AC2020 to see the complete list. Topics include dealing with grief, working with death doulas, psychic children, and suicide. These videos won't last forever, but they can be watched anytime at your convenience until September 30th, 2020. Visit path11productions.com slash AC2020 for all the information. And if you haven't seen our documentaries yet, the Path Series Trilogy, you can watch all three for free at Gaia.com. Just sign up for their one-week free trial. You can cancel at any time and watch The Path Afterlife, The Path Beyond the Physical, and The Path Evolution. Oh, and before we get into our show, I wanted to remind you to use your 25% off discount code PATH2PORTAL, all caps, PATH, the number two portal, path to portal at reconnection.com for trainings by Dr. Eric Pearl. They absolutely loved being on our show and they wanted to give back to our listeners. So you guys are lucky and are getting 25% off if you go to their website, reconnection.com. All of these links are listed in the show notes for today's episode. So enough of all these announcements, let's get to our show for today. And thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I would like to welcome our guest. He's also a fellow podcast host and runs the podcast, Where Is My Mind? I would like to introduce you to Mark Gober. He's also the author of the award-winning book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, that came out in 2018. And his newest book, which is the one that I just read, was just released. It's a sequel to the first book, and it is entitled An End to Upside Down Living. So the first one's thinking, the second one is living. And he um, runs his his podcast, Where Is My Mind? And we share similar guests. So I have a feeling Mark and I have similar ways of thinking because he too has also interviewed Eben Alexander, Raymond Moody, um, Rupert Sheldrake, Russell Targ, amongst a bunch of other people. He also serves on the board of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, also known as IONS, who we're very familiar with, and the School of Wholeness and Enlightenment, which I have never heard of before. So I'm interested to learn more about that. And he's also an international speaker. His background is is in business as a partner at Sherpa Technology Group in Silicon Valley and previously as an investment banking analyst in New York. So, Mark, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Well, thanks for having me. 
Yes, I really enjoyed uh, reading your book, An End to Upside Down Living. And I had said before I brought you on, you have to come back because Mm -hmm. as I delved into your first book, it is loaded with so much. I mean, I read it on the Kindle. I have my small Kindle here. I have other notes on my laptop and I have a bunch of notes here. And I said, oh my gosh, I want to take it one book at a time. So I kind of read it backwards. I read your second one first, um, but this was written really and produced at a perfect time. And for our listeners, the first question that Mark really asks you to reflect on is what is the overall intention of your life? So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that and how you broke this book down. And um, I, you know, I was reading this and I feel like you put into words a lot of my thinking and reflection of what I have been personally doing during this pandemic. And you gave me words for it and structure. So thank you. Um, so <laughs> let's uh, let's give our listeners a little bit of your background. And I know it was in 2016, things really started to shift for you. So only about four years ago, mm-hmm. but uh, let them know a little bit about this shift that happened and what brought you to creating your own podcast and becoming an author of two books. Well, as you said in my bio, my background is really in business. And I went to Princeton. I studied behavioral economics, so kind of economics with psychology, was not thinking about consciousness or uh, really metaphysical things at all. I was interested in physics a bit. At, a peri- at one point, I thought about majoring in astrophysics, actually, but not from this kind of spiritual perspective. I was very much kind of a uh, traditional thinker. I mean, relative to the mainstream, there's not, there's no supernatural. Life is kind of random and meaningless. Um, but let's just go through the motions. That was kind of what was going on in the back of my head. And um, in 2016, I was listening to podcasts, not really intending to learn about consciousness per se, but I heard about a few anomalies, so things that didn't really make sense relative to my worldview. And around that time also, there were some things in my life that weren't like going perfectly, some personal stuff, some business deals that didn't go my way. So it was kind of a combination of life not going my way in, in a few in areas uh, with this nihilism in the background where I thought life had no meaning. So I wasn't in like in the best place um, in my life. And then I heard some podcasts that talked about some of these alternative ideas. And that led me to then do research where I started to read scientific papers. And when I started all of this in late 2016, I wasn't thinking about writing a book. I mean, the fact that we're even having this conversation now is still a bit shocking to me. Every time I do an interview, it's, this was not what I was thinking about at the time. <laughs> I was just interested in learning more because I realized that if any of the things I learned about were real, so things like telepathy or communications with the deceased or children with past life memories, I mean, all this stuff was completely foreign to me. So when I learned about the ideas, I realized that they were not just world-changing for me individually, but on a collective basis, if, if people understood that these things were were not just fanciful thinking, that there was reality to them and there was actual science, that would shift not only science, but also the way we think about living. So I, I was in full immersion mode for a year, from late 2016 into the summer of 2017. And in the summer of 2017, I decided to write the book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. And when I first thought about doing it, I said, wait a second, this is going to take a long time. And I don't, I don't think I want to do that. I work in business. I wasn't a partner yet at my firm. I became a partner in 2018. And I was like, do I really want to, do I want to try this alternative route that has nothing to do with my day job and it's controversial? But ultimately I decided to do it. And then I ended up writing the book very quickly. I wrote it in a few weekends in between work. 
Um, and then that was published in 2018, decided to do a podcast, Where's My Mind, which first came out in 2019, and then this newest book in 2020. So a lot has happened. Yeah. And, you know, that makes me think because I've, you know, have talked to many authors on the podcast and some people, you know, you will hear that their book has been such a life undertaking and has taken a long time. And then there's other people where you hear it's like I downloaded it. It's felt like I downloaded the information. It happened super quickly and it didn't take a long time. And I remember um, having conversations with some of those people and feeling like, okay, if I ever want to write a book, at least I know it can be done quickly. Right. But as we move into some of your content, it also tells me that a lot of what you're teaching the reader and how you've kind of have found this alignment or found your inner compass and the way in which you live makes sense to me that this unfolded rather quickly for you because you were in the flow, as you talk about being yeah. in the flow. I was in the flow and I was also fully immersed in the information. So even though the book happened after a year, that was a very intense year of learning. So I had the, kind of the information at my fingertips and I knew all the, where all the books were and where the papers were so that when it came time to write, the writing was actually the easy part relative to all the research that came before it. Gotcha. Yeah. And I appreciate all the research that you did into it. Um, there's a lot of people that you mentioned in the book, uh, books that I have read uh, that I'm familiar with as well. And I can't believe I have not read any David Hawking's books yet. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've heard of the name. And every time you have quoted something in your book, I was highlighting it. And I'm like, okay, I clearly need to get I, I don't know how I missed this, but I loved everything that you put in your book that was quoted by him. Um, you know, and just with my own psychology background, how, how, how have I not come into his work? I don't know. So thank you. You also introduced me to his work as well. Um, but I was wondering, can we kind of explain to the audience the concept of one mind, uh, making it simplistic, which I love that you do, right? Because you do bring in um, the science and the explanation, but then you have a way of describing it where it doesn't make my mind feel all dizzy mm -hmm. and getting overcomplicated the science behind it. So, um, you know, you write in your book that the one mind is all reality is just one universal consciousness. And it reminded me a little bit of the concept, I think when I was speaking to Irvin Laszlo about how consciousness lives outside of the brain mm -hmm. from it, but you really integrate this whole concept of one mind. So can you explain a little bit what the one mind consciousness is? Sure. Well, it, it all comes back to the brain and consciousness. And this is what my first book is all about, which is looking at what's known as the hard problem of consciousness. So, right, anyone listening to this or watching this has consciousness, and it's your awareness, consciousness that is allowing you to have experience. So, we know that consciousness exists. It's the most fundamental part of our existence. And we also know that we have a brain. And in science, uh, there's an assumption that the reason that we're conscious is solely due to a lot of complicated stuff happening in our brain, and consciousness just pops out. The hard problem of consciousness is that scientists have no idea how that could happen. This is a pretty big deal because consciousness is what allows us to experience everything in life, including ask this question of consciousness. So it's, it's kind of ironic that we don't even understand consciousness from a mainstream perspective. And all the work that I've done is to say the reason we haven't figured out this hard problem of consciousness is that we're asking the wrong question. The question that's being asked is how is the brain creating consciousness when it might be the case, and I would argue it is the case, that the brain doesn't produce consciousness. That the brain is very much related to the way we experience the world, but it's acting more like a filtering mechanism, meaning there's some much broader consciousness beyond our body, but our brain and our body actually kind of limit what we perceive. 
And so that implies that consciousness is beyond the body. It's not that the body is kind of this processing mechanism. It's the thing that allows us to interpret consciousness or have specific experiences. So then the question becomes, well, where is, where is consciousness? What's its origin? And that becomes a bit complicated because what I ultimately argue is that consciousness is beyond space and time. So this notion that time goes from past to present to future, it, it certainly feels that way when we interpret life. But when we examine concepts like time, we realize, especially with Einstein's relativity, not only science, but also our own experience, that uh, time is not the way we perceive it to be. So ultimately, what I, what I come up with, and, and a lot of other people are saying this too, is that there is this one mind. Erwin Schrodinger, who's a Nobel Prize winning physicist, this is where the term comes from, he said, in truth, there is only one mind. And to use another analogy from a philosopher, Dr. Bernardo Kastrup, this one mind is like a stream of consciousness. And each of us is a whirlpool within that stream. So there's a sense of being an individual, but at the same time, we're interconnected as part of the same stream. And so that this model would allow for things that might be called anomalies under the conventional model that the, the brain produces consciousness. That conventional model would say that psychic phenomena like telepathy, precognition, those things should never happen. Those would be paranormal because normal would be that the brain creates consciousness and consciousness is stuck in our skull. Um, another phenomenon that would be predicted by this model of the one mind, the interconnected stream, is that consciousness would survive when the body dies. Because when the whirlpool stops being a whirlpool, the water just flows back into the stream. It doesn't leave the stream, it just transitions into a new state. So this model would predict that things like a near-death experience where the brain is off and yet a person, has, a person has a lucid consciousness in seemingly other dimensions, that's all of a sudden very possible in reincarnation mediumship, all these things make sense in the context of a one mind. So I think the, one of the key points here is that the one mind seems to exist at a certain level of reality, but the, the level of reality at which we perceive is one where we see separation. There's a me and a you, and it seems like we're separate, and that's because the way our, our perceptual organs, our eyes, our ears, mouth, nose, the way we perceive the world shows us separation. So at this level of reality, there seems to be separation, but when we take it a step further, like kind of zoom at 30,000 foot level, we're interconnected as part of this one mind. Yeah, so you're already reading my mind um, because that's another area that I wanted to go into um, because this is what I took away from the book. Um, you talk about our belief in separation versus interconnectedness, and then you also finish this book the last week of February, and then bam, the pandemic hit. And I thought, well, I mean, there's no other great example than to really show and I think you make the connection well with this one mind that we are all interconnected and the pandemic is allowing us to have this very deep interconnected experience, even though we feel so separated, mm -hmm. right? But it's all happening all at once. And when we've ever experienced something like that. So I, I kind of feel like this one mind is uh, manifesting a little bit where we can touch it and we can see it a little bit more, where we can see this interconnectedness. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's certainly a tragic event, <clears throat> excuse me, in many ways for many people. And at the same time, there are maybe some unintended consequences or, or positive side effects that maybe we'll see down the road. But I think we're starting to realize the interconnectedness of all people and that 
everyone is potentially affected by the virus. It's kind of equalizing among social classes even. And it's forcing people, I think, to be very introspective and to think about life and death and contemplate topics that we might typically just not think about because we're so busy. We're being forced to think about health and maintaining this this vessel of consciousness under the one mind model, the body's kind of the vehicle. So we're having to be more conscious of, of our body and health and nutrition. So I think this is maybe a, a forcing function for evolution. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, okay, let me go to some of my notes here too that kind of piggybacks off of that. There's so much here. Um, Let's let me go to the 10 approaches to life, because yeah. a few that I really liked applying to the pandemic is one of the approaches to life, which is surrender that you talk about uh, and surrendering the will to the one mind. And then I also liked um, and again, I'm looking at my notes here was also the concept of prayer, manifestation, law of attraction. And you are like the second person just recently, here's the connection to the synchronicities, right? Mm -hmm. That um, I'm beginning to hear more of this and looking at prayer very differently. And, you know, I used to teach vision board classes and, okay, let's manifest this and that. And, you know, really understanding that maybe that is more of the connection to the ego and I know what is best and let me manifest and bring into my life what I think is best for me. And this was really a turning point for me, like I said, you gave me the words and the structure of something that I've been trying to grasp personally for myself, which is this concept of allowing. You talk about mm -hmm. allowing and surrendering and saying, you know what, maybe I really don't know what's best for me. And let me just ride this wave and try to find this flow that you talk about so eloquently. And it seems like you're living in the flow. And I love watching people like you who are living in the flow because mm -hmm. I'm at this point in my life where I feel it, I taste it, I understand it intellectually. I have moments of it but I haven't quite connected and clicked in, but I'm on the verge. I know it. I feel it. Um, I think you so, are. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about, um, you know, we don't really have time to go over to the 10 approaches of life. If you'd like to give people an overview of that, we can do that. But I think surrendering is so important with this approach, um, with I, one of the I, approaches. I agree. I mean, all the approaches are related. So one of the key ideas behind the one mind is that it is of infinite intelligence basically. So if we say that as an individual, we have some degree of intelligence, one whirlpool has intelligence that's part of the stream, then by definition, the stream has intelligence in it. And if the stream is all reality, so everything that we see in this big universe, even at the microscopic levels, is part of the one mind, meaning that the one mind is made of this unthinkable complexity. So it then becomes not a difficult leap to say that the one mind is of some kind of intelligence that's beyond what we could even comprehend because the one mind is literally made of or the physical universe i should say is made of the one mind um so i think that's one of the key points is that there is an intelligence beyond the individual whirlpool that is underlying all of reality and so once we accept that then the intellect starts to realize that it is incapable of understanding everything and that's a hard step because people don't we, like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, I don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe it. We want to believe that we could figure everything out. And I think what we're learning in science and physics is that reality is so com complex that our brains are a limitation. Again, it's it's kind of a blindfold to reality. It shows us a limited sliver. So that's the key point behind 
basically all of the approaches to life, including surrender. So if we if we buy into this idea that there is some much greater intelligence, some intelligence that we cannot even comprehend, it's that intelligence then what is our individual intelligence relative to that broader intelligence? It's not very much. So the best that we can do as kind of this, if you want to say antenna of the broader consciousness, is to allow that broader intelligence to come into us as much as possible and to kind of surrender to it and to say that, wait, I'm an individual that has a limited intelligence relative to this greater thing. I don't even know what's going on in the universe. Maybe there's some purpose behind everything, but if, if it exists, I don't know what it is because I see things through my limited whirlpool. So I'm going to surrender at the level of the whirlpool and say, I don't know what's going on, but there is some greater cosmic consciousness that does know what's going on. So I'm going to allow that to flow into me. Meaning when things happen in life, I'm not going to judge whether something's good or bad. I can certainly have preferences for things and want things to happen a certain way, but I'm not going to be attached to an outcome because I don't know where that outcome is going to lead me down the road. And I don't know what's going on at a cosmic level. And therefore, the best thing I can do is kind of just be an open antenna, take cues from the universe, if you will, or follow passions, follow what seems to be the next obvious thing in life, and not be attached to what happens. And I think it's an ongoing process because it's so counter to what we're taught. Absolutely. And I feel like the pandemic has forced us there because there's so much of a stop, right? The momentum of life in some ways has stopped and we haven't had a choice. And it has been beyond our control, which most people will say, I'd like to be in control and I don't like change and I like to control my, you know, my circumstances. And that's one of the things too that I've really have stepped into is this art of allowing. Um, you know, I had like some crazy things happen right before this. I luckily and ended up moving out of my office because I thought I was moving into another office and then the pandemic hit and I'm working from home. Okay. Mm. But then when we can move forward, I've got nowhere to go. So I kind of feel like the old me would have been like, I got to figure this out. I got to research. I got to find a place. I got to start making phone calls. Let me find the office space. And I don't know what has happened, but there's just been this switch of surrender that has turned on during this pandemic that I'm like, I can't go anywhere yet anyway. So I'm just going to allow the space to come to me. I'm going to trust in this infinite intelligence, which is like stripping my ego, right? Because I know what's best for me or I know what I want, but I'm really beginning to let go of that and say, and just that there's a trust that's connected to the surrender. I'm just going to trust and allow that wherever it is I'm supposed to be led, I will be led there. And that's challenging for people to just not feel like they're taking control of their life or making decisions. But like you said, I'm an open antenna. I'll stay open to things, people, places, ideas, conversations. I'll trust in the synchronicity that maybe somebody might say, hey, come on over here when you're ready. Um, so this art of allowing and surrendering, I am working it, Mark. I'm working it big time. <laughs> Love it. Well, I'll give you an example from my own life, the way that the last few months have unfolded. So I became a partner at my firm. I spent 10 years at, at the firm. I mean, I would have, if, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would have left, I would have said, that's crazy because I had kind of achieved what I was hoping to achieve. And in December, I realized, this is December of 2019, that the job was not aligned anymore. I just completely felt it and I didn't know what was next. So I gave my partners notice that I would be transitioning out of my role. And this was, I didn't know COVID was going to happen. And then I went on a few retreats. So I, as I was working part-time, I did some two extended meditation retreats. One was a six-day, one was a five-day, so silent meditation. 
I did an Ayurvedic retreat. So these were three retreats in five weeks. Wow. And this was all, they all ended, I think March 6th was the last date of the last retreat. So I did all this stuff right before COVID and wrote the book at the end of February. But at the time when I decided to leave my firm, I didn't, I didn't know all this was going to happen. But I knew that I needed to leave and I didn't know why. So that's an example of something I never would have done. I was the biggest control person. I want to know exactly what's going to happen. But even looking back at my life, if I took the instances where I thought I knew at the time what was going to happen when I made a decision, I really didn't. So the, the notion that we know what's going to happen, it kind of always becomes falsified when we look in hindsight. And the analogy I use in the book, it's one that I think about all the time, is that kind of the one mind has the helicopter perspective beyond space and time and can see above from above what's happening. And, and we're like the little person in a maze. And we don't see, we only see what's immediately in front of us, but we can't see what's way ahead. But at the level of the one mind, the one mind can see beyond space and time what's actually happening. And so it's, I don't think it's an overnight process. It's one that I'm working on all the time. But I, once you start living it, I think, and I see this in myself and others, it starts to become easier because it's, it's more validating of the process of surrender and seeing that things actually start to work out. Yeah, and you also talk about that if you begin to live it, because we are connected to this one mind, that by you living in that way, that helps me. If I'm able to get there, it's the ripple effect, right? Then that helps this person and that helps that person. So let's stick, let's stay on this example that you gave because I'm also right there too. I have, I feel a shift kind of coming. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I'm feeling a call to release some stuff from what I've been doing and move into another direction. But I'm teetering a little bit on fear, right? The money, like, okay, you know, it's kind of like the personality and soul aren't quite in alignment yet with it. Um, but I love hearing your story and I'm getting a little more pumped up about, okay, I can do this. If he can do it, I can do it. Um, and what I have been reflecting on since I've read this book is the way that you make decisions in life. And you say that you base them off of your values, your intuition, and you allow your passions to guide you. So mm -hmm. when you were, you know, making this decision, getting ready to leave as a partner of this firm, and then you dive into these retreats, um, how do you get over that hump to really fully immerse, to, to really do what we're talking about, the surrender and the trust that this was the right direction to go in? Well, there, I think there's a combination of the trust and the surrender, but also being practical. So I, I thought about everything financially and had a, a little bit of a plan where it wasn't just completely jumping off a cliff without thinking about the consequences. And maybe there's a time and place for that. But like this one was well thought out in addition to following values and passions and intuition. So I think okay. there was a little bit of, there was definitely both. I think, I think one should be like cautiously cautious in the decisions also. So there can be a tendency to like, to just be irrational and, and that, maybe sometimes would work, but sometimes wouldn't work because that can bring its own set of consequences. So I think there's like a balance. And I talk about the middle way, which is a, a Buddhist concept of, of, of not taking too extreme a position always. I mean, sometimes that might work. In this case, it, pro it probably from the outside seems like an extreme move for me to just leave. And in some ways it is, but there was also measurement to it. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I just knew I could take the path. There would be some security to it, even though there was insecurity at the same time. Uh, but in, when I made the decision, there was not any hesitation. And that's usually a good sign when it's like it feels that clear. Uh, but I didn't 
I had been thinking kind of in the back of my mind about a second book. And when I made the decision to leave the firm and gave notice, I started to get a lot more insights about the second book, which came much more quickly than I would have thought. But even where I am now, I mean, I wrote the book. It's out on Kindle. As of this recording, it's coming out on hardcover and Audible in a few weeks. I don't know exactly what's next. I'm still doing a lot of meditation. I feel like I'm in the flow. But the way this whole process has worked for me since 2016 is that it's kind of gone one step at a time. And the, the step number four in kind of the way I, I make decisions is do the next obvious thing. That's from an author, uh, Suzanne Siegel. It's right. it's really this this next step of what's immediately in front of me. And that's how things have go- flowed. And here I am with two books and a podcast series. I wasn't planning on any of that a few years ago. And it's been just one step at a time. Great. Thank you for answering that. So basically, you had some sort of footing behind you. You planned it out. You, it was well thought out. And then eventually, you can only do so much planning and calculating. And then you have to take the leap if you're really going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I think it's important to think about the pros and cons of the leap always. So I thought about I used the rational mind for sure. And then I used the intuition and combined them. And then it was a no brainer. So this is where I also get a little confused from time to time, because you also talk about, um, it reminded me a lot of A Course in Miracles, some of Wayne Dyer's work, that when you wake up in the morning, one of the first things that you can ask is, you know, one mind, God, whatever word you want to use, how would you like me to serve today? Mm. And um, I, I had read that out of one of Marianne Williamson's books that her, her morning routine is basically calling in the Holy Spirit. How would you like me to serve? What would you like me to say? How would you like me to act, behave? And even to the point where she says, what would you like me to wear? So she's really just kind of asking for that insight. So I kind of, um, you know, have this thing about, and, you know, we're in this world of service, right, of serving others and helping others and making it less about us and more about others. And then when there was the quote that you had pulled from Anita Morgiani, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name right, but she had the near-death experience. She also talked about how it's important to take care of the self and like to have these boundaries and that if you're serving yourself and you're letting go of what you know is no longer serving you, that that's, that's healthy. But then I get confused sometimes because then I'm like, well, then am I being selfish and just focusing on myself and not being of service to others? But then I'm like, but how could I be in service to others if I'm not really taking care of myself or lessening the load or letting go of things? So can you help me kind of get more clarity around that? Sure. So I think what you're you're getting at at a broader level is the notion of paradox, which the, the biggest paradox of all is that we are both an individual and the one mind at the same time, that we have kind of two identities. They're both true somehow. And our this is coming back to the human brain and our limitations and what we can understand. We like to think in black and white. It's much easier that it's just this or that, but it's much more complex and nuanced. So if we think of ourselves as a whirlpool and the stream at the same time, there's an obligation under that notion to take care of the whirlpool, but also take care of the stream because we're both. And it becomes tricky at a certain point of where's the line drawn? When am I being um, basically not, not taking care of myself enough versus not taking care of others enough? And I think there's a balance that only any, each of us can understand in our own lives. And in the last chapter of my book, I quote David Hawkins, where he says, along the lines of, the best thing that we can do for the world is per- perfect our own self. Because when we perfect ourself, we can be of, of greater service because we're channeling the one mind 
at a at a more efficient level. So the more we take care of ourselves, the more we actually help the world in a way. Because by surrendering on an individual level and, and being the purest vessel, we can then be of service more. So there is this kind of dual intention that we have to set, which is really taking care of ourselves so that we can be of service. It's the both and, which is a paradoxical notion. It's not one or the other. Yeah, and I wrestle with that a lot. And I'm I'm trying to find that balance because especially during this pandemic, you know, you kind of I feel this personal pressure to serve others, to be there for others, uh, to listen to others anxiety. I mean, you know, I, I took the call to be a mental health therapist on top of this. And yet at sometimes I as therapists, and I'm sure other therapists in the field would say, we tend to neglect ourselves because we're always focused on helping the others. And so doing the self-care and taking care of myself is equally important as trying to serve these people. And how do you find that balance? Um, so, but I've, I've done that. I took a week off of vacation. It's really interesting what had happened too, because I was feeling that, that lack of self-care, you know, the pandemic hit, you know, I moved out of my office. Now I'm doing telehealth sessions and I'm listening to people and I'm trying to manage my own anxiety and feelings of being overwhelmed during this. And, uh, and I gained 10 pounds and I'm like, what is going on here? And I felt this call to say, take a full week off, took a full week off. I happened to get on the scale this morning. All 10 pounds were gone. Wow. And I didn't do anything different, except I wasn't holding the energetic weight, maybe, of, I, I might, I must have been holding it in a way that isn't serving me. And you talk a little bit how you can also take care of your physical body. But I just found like, you know, I was doing more meditating this week, I was calling upon, you know, my teachers and having people take care of me getting out walking more doing more physical things, uh, painting just, you know, things that make me feel really good. And and I felt my body changing. I felt like I was returning back to normal before this pandemic hit. And for the hell of it, just stepped on the scale. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, because I was feeling like I knew that I was gaining this weight. I'm like, where's this weight coming from? And it felt very emotional and energetic. And then here I have this full week completely off the vacation week, feeling free in that flow, step on the scale and it's gone. So I feel like that for whatever reason, I know that. I have to really pay attention to my physical body because it literally will speak and show me how I'm holding energy or not taking care of myself. So can you talk a little bit about the physical body and how you take care of yours as being this vessel and this container in working with the one mind? Well, I think the word vessels is really the key point that the body is not, in some ways, is not our own. It's, it's almost being borrowed in this life, even though we are the one mind kind of borrowing our own. This is, again, paradox. We are the one mind, but we're the individual. And the body is what allows us to have a certain set of experiences. And those experiences can allow for lots of learning in many different ways. And this, again, goes back to this notion of non-judgmentalism, of not judging what happens, because whatever happens, we're learning something maybe in ways that we can't understand. So taking care of the vessel is, to me, not only it's not an option. It's, it's, it's like a requirement. It's an obligation because it's our vehicle for having learning experiences. So whether it's mental health, because even our own individual mind and the way we, we direct our thoughts is part of our well-being, but also um, working out, nutrition, any ways that we can keep the body in the best physical shape, I think makes us the best antenna possible to pick up the signal and to, to allow us to be in flow. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. And I've learned a lot in this past week and um, I'm learning more of that balance and how important it is. Um, so one of the things, if you don't mind, I would like to read from your book. It's one It's one of the most beautiful things that I think I've read in, in quite a while. And you know, the initial question that you pose in the book to the reader, what is the overall intention of your life? I answered that question immediately before going through your book. And then after I got to the end of your book and I read a little bit about how you cultivate your intention, mine changed a bit. And at first mine was just kind of like to be an overall good person. But then I felt like I was given uh, just, I don't know, you, you did something in your writing that helped me to focus that a little bit more, I think with more intention. So I wanted to read a little bit of yours to our listeners because it's really, I feel very inspiring. Um, so Mark says that his intention of his life is to perfect himself so that he could be a pure vessel. There's the word vessel of the intelligent one mind, thereby allowing me to serve without obstruction. And I have to say, I was like, okay, I need to write that down on a sticky note. I want that to be mine now. I want to steal it. I love it. You know, it was like, wow, you really encompassed it. And then I loved how you continued a little bit more where you say, I remain open to the manner in which service can manifest, whether it seems big or small, and whether it's through writing, personal relationships, speaking, doing business deals, cleaning dishes or whatever. I use my values, intuition and passions to guide me as they are signals that I am in alignment with the one mind. In doing so, I focus my attention to the present moment. Um, and then I can't move on. Hold on <laughs> to the next page. Um, and you also talk a little bit about uh, having that beginner's mind as well. So there was a lot here that I highlighted, but I really just, I, I love that. And I felt like it gave me a little more focus in something to strive. Not that just being a good person isn't enough, but there's more to it. It's like allowing yourself, like you said, to be in that flow to really, you're making me go back to question, uh, again, well, what are my values? And when that intuition comes up, how do I follow it? And what are the passions that need to guide me? So I figure maybe as we begin to close a little bit, if you can talk about how you came up with this intention and how to answer this question for your life and what is the overall intention for your life? Well, I think the first sentence really encapsulates it, and the, and the rest is, is a summary, and because it's it's very deep, and there's a lot to unpack. But it's it's this paradoxical notion of perfecting the self so that that individual self can serve the broader stream, even though that broader stream is the self at some level. So it's it's this dual notion of of the individual within the context of the totality. And that's going back to what you, you mentioned about manifesting in prayer, because I want to incorporate that. I think many people, just who I talk to in this space, um, will try to manifest something that they think is best or pray for something to happen. And the more I've gotten into this space and learned more about this notion of surrender and, and realizing, wait a second, I don't really know what's best. And therefore, wait a second, I'm not sure what I should even try to manifest or pray for, for, for wanting something to happen, because that thing that I think I want to happen, maybe that's not the best thing on a broader level. Maybe there's ego or just my intellect is limited. And I think that this path is the best when actually it's the other path at some broader level. So at the end of the section on prayer earlier in the book, what I say is, is that many of the advanced teachers that I, I think are really are, are spectacular, what they'll say regarding prayer is that the best thing you can do in terms of prayer is ask what you can do to be serving, rather than saying, I want this thing to happen. 
And that's really where the overall intention of my life, the way I, I phrase it, that's what it comes down to. It's this notion of, of being a vessel for the intelligence and just following where that goes. And it's, it's kind of getting the individual intellect out of the way, like putting it in its, in its place, using the intellect where it's needed, but not letting it drive our decisions. So it's the surrendered attitude where we're almost like chess pieces in some kind of a cosmic game. I think that's the best thing I can even come up with and to think about how this might work, where there is a one mind that has some kind of intelligence and will behind it, and we are serving it. And I mentioned Adi Ashanti, who I think is a great teacher who's still living. Many of the there are other great teachers who are not, but he's still living. He talks a lot about the spiritual impulse. So anyone listening to your show probably has that to an extent, and I would argue that anyone living has a spiritual impulse, and they might be manifesting it through through different ways. But probably people listening to your show are, are more spiritually inclined, thinking about other dimensions and, and intuition and other uh, ways of thinking about reality. And what Adyashanti says about the spiritual impulse, what drives us to think about these things, is not our ego. It's not, it's not that we think about intuition and manifesting to serve our ego, but it's the reverse, is that the spiritual impulse is using us to serve it. And that's a big reversal in thinking. So if we think about things that way, then we get out of the way and say, wait a second, how can I, how can I be in flow, kind of get in the, in the flow of the current of the stream so the stream pulls me in its direction? Wow. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. I have really enjoyed our time today. Sorry it's cut you know, a little short here. Um, but... So during this pandemic, just to let you know, I have been doing more Zoom book clubs. So uh, people love to do book clubs and I've chosen a couple. I usually like to choose them from people that I've had on the podcast because then I have another reference point. And uh, we're just finishing up our last book. And I was thinking this week before I read yours, well, what am I gonna choose? This is it. I mean, I'm taking your your two books. Uh, I probably have to read the first one first, but I love this one, um, and I'm sure I'm going to love the other one. But so I'm choosing your books to do my next book club. Oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, and when you say you know, uh, do the your fourth step, do the next obvious thing. Like here you are, you're writing books, you're doing podcasts, you have your own podcast. I'm sure this is just going to continue to create itself, you know, for you, it'll probably end up being the full time job. <laughs> um, you know, um, I feel like I've learned a lot from you just in reading your book. And you seem to have just a natural ability to teach and, you know, to just put things in really easy terms for people to understand. So I thank you so much for your book, the way that you write the way that you've taught me in this short period of time. And I'm definitely going to invite you back so we can talk more about the first book. Um, and can you also let our listeners know where they can find your information, your website, your podcast, and um, hopefully they'll get as excited as I am <laughs> about your work. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. And thanks for the work that you do. I think it's so important to get this information out there. Um, my website is a good way to start. It's markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And my books, An End to Upside Down Thinking and An End to Upside Down Living, are on Amazon. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of the bookstores. Um, and also my podcast, Where Is My Mind, is available on all the major podcast players. So I interview many of the scientists that talk about these phenomena. So we didn't talk as much about the science of telepathy or near-death experiences, and that's really the first book and the podcast. 
Um, although the podcast gets a little bit into the life review, which is a phenomenon in the near-death experience where people relive their life in a flash and they relive events through the eyes of other people. So this is it's the one mind in action. So the book is the, the podcast has a little bit of that, and that is on all the major podcast players. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to download your podcast. I'm going to listen to it to be prepared for our next interview. And we will get into more of that science uh, when I get the chance to read your first book. So, all right, Mark, thank you so much. Be well. Thank you for your work. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Me too. Bye. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's show. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you to listen to our new podcast, Mindbenders. Visit mindbenderspodcast.com to hear my dad's synchronistic story, I Hope It'll Bend Your Mind, about Jimi Hendrix. Then submit your story if you think it can bend our minds. Also be sure to check out the video replays of the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Conference. We have over 17 hours of amazing presenters exploring the survival of consciousness after death, working with hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, clergy, counselors, and alternative healers to offer a deeper understanding of death and beyond.